Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church. Uh, this is the Tuesday broadcast, and this is part two on the reality of Easter. Did it really happen? And I want to let you know that the resurrection of Christ did indeed happen. And we're looking at four reasons why we believe it literally happened. Uh, number one, it's rational to believe that Jesus rose again. And yesterday we talked about the rationality of the resurrection of Christ. I gave you some historical reasons from secular accounts as to why we believe that Jesus rose again. Uh, number two, we talked about the fact that it's personal. Now, I know that uh, sometimes I talk kind of fast. As a matter of fact, I got an email, one of our listeners, that says, now, I love the broadcast, but you talk so fast, I couldn't keep up with what you were saying. And so she asked me for the manuscript of the message that I gave that particular day. Now, if you would like me to send you the manuscript of what I'm going through, if I'm giving it to you too fast, uh, I want you to know I'd be happy to email it to you. If you give me a call at 757-421-7500, just give me an email. If the voicemail picks up, if there's nobody at the church. I just leave your phone number or your email on there and I will go ahead and email you the transcript of the message. And now the, the broadcast is not a word for word of the broadcast. It's not a word for word from the transcript, uh, but it's pretty close and it covers the main points and I'd be happy to send that to you. And also on the transcripts, if I reference something on the notes, it will tell you where that reference came from so that you can check me out to make sure that I, I'm uh, properly uh, referencing those people that I quote. Well, we're looking at why we believe in the reality of Easter. Did it really happen? So yesterday we talked about the fact that it's rational to believe it did happen. It's a very personal reason why we should believe uh, that it happened. And we, uh, on that point, we talked about the fact that Jesus personally appeared to Mary Magdalene first and then to all of the 12 disciples and then the 11 disciples on a separate occasion and then to the 500 disciples at one time. And then to all the apostles again, and then Paul said to me, he appeared also, but Jesus even appeared to his family, his younger brother, James. And so it's just amazing when you think that Jesus made so many personal encounters or, or personal appearances uh, to establish the fact that he was alive, and it was a literal physical resurrection. It wasn't a ghost, right? It was the physical resurrection of Christ. And so just amazing when you think about it, that Christ appeared to so many people, and the fact that he is still appearing to people today. Now, I have never seen a physical appearance of Christ, but I can tell you what, he has changed my life. And I think that if you go into some of the uh, foreign countries and some of our, especially some of the Muslim countries, uh, I, they're, they're seeing a lot of more physical manifestations of miracles and, and uh, the appearance of, uh, in some cases, maybe even Jesus himself. Uh, I don't know how real all that is, but I know it's changing your lives. And so I want you to know that Jesus will change your life. Uh, that's why I have devoted my life uh, to preaching the gospel, to serving in a local church, because Jesus can change you like nobody else can. Uh, Jesus can bring life out of a death. He can raise you up. Uh, he can take that hurt that you're experiencing. He can bring healing. And uh, I tell you, Jesus has changed my life so radically. That's why I've devoted my life to serving him. There's a third reason why we believe in the literal resurrection of Christ is because it's very merciful. And it's merciful in the way that it changes lives. I think about Paul. Paul was a notorious hater of Christians, haters of all who were followers of Christ. But then he becomes, after he sees the resurrected Savior in Acts chapter 9, he becomes a famous defender. 
And he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. You know, the major doctrines of our faith, Paul delineates those doctrines. There's something else that I see when you think about a merciful Savior and what he's done for us. I think about the brothers of Jesus. I think about James specifically. He was a skeptic. I mean, after all, I mean, one of the arguments that were raised in allowing Jesus to be crucified is that not even his family believed that he was the Messiah. And they used that against Jesus, said, listen, you can't even convince your own family that you are who you say you are. Look, they're with us. Now, they're actually bringing accusations against you. They think you're crazy. We think you're crazy. They're denying that you are the Messiah. We're going to get you for blasphemy because you claim to be God. But all of a sudden, James goes from this family skeptic to a devoted follower of Christ. And we're going to talk at the end of the broadcast how he gave his life for the resurrected Savior. And then we have Mary Magdalene. I mean, come on. A scandalous sinner who was turned to a sincere saint. Now, whether or not you believe in the resurrection, it's more than just a merely intellectual process. Because, you know, we're not computers. We are flesh and blood human beings. And when we confront the claim of the resurrection, we address it not just with logic, and that's part of it, but with a lifetime of hopes and, and fears and pre-existing faith commitments. Peter said, praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Peter reminds us that it's because of the great mercy of Christ that we have new birth. It's because of the great mercy of Christ that we have a living hope that is made available to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus rose again from the dead, all of a sudden, we received his mercy. You know, it's, it's merciful to look how gentle Jesus is with Mary. She's filled with compassion. Uh, she's more of a lover of Jesus than any of the other disciples. I mean, she's there along with two other women that first day, to to show her last respects, to embalm the body of Christ, to wrap him in in spices and wrap him in linen, to to give him a decent burial. And, And as much as she loves him, she wasn't looking for a live Jesus. She was looking for a dead Jesus. He was a wonderful teacher, but he died. He was a man who helped her get past her terrible life. But now, He was dead. Her estimate was too small. He was the light. He was going to die. He was going to rise again. And so he asked, why are you crying? He is risen, but he's still gentle. He asked Mary, why are you crying? And then he uses that personal pronoun and says, Mary. You know, the whole message of the gospel is based upon God's mercy. She never would have found him. If Jesus had not found her, she was looking for a dead body, but Jesus breaks through as a risen savior. Even your reason goes nowhere unless he helps you. Oh, that's part of my prayer for you today, that the Lord will open up your eyes to the mercy that he has made available to you through the blood of Jesus Christ that was validated through his resurrection. You see, it's rational to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, It's very personal because he will personally have an encounter with us. It's very merciful what he has done for us. We don't deserve what he's done for us. And number four, 
It is miraculous. In Matthew 28, we have Matthew giving us this account of what happened uh, on those last moments and, and the beginning of that time of the resurrection. And it says, while they were going, behold, and this is verse number 11, Matthew 28, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Hey, tell the people, his disciples came by night, and they stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money, and they did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So when Matthew writes this account, of the resurrection of Christ. He says a great cover-up was attempted, and they gathered around with the guards and said, listen, tell everybody that you fell asleep, and and we're going to pay you this money to say this, okay? You fell asleep, and while you were sleeping, they came and they stole the body while you were asleep. Now, I don't know about you, but this is the craziest story I have ever heard. Now, if you're asleep, how can you see anything? Uh, unless they're sleeping with their eyes open, you know. Uh, I know some people sleep with their eyes open, but they don't see anything. Uh, when you're asleep, you don't see what's happening. And after all, how could they remain asleep? I mean, we're talking about highly trained Roman guards, right? We're not talking about a, uh, some some offbeat uh, uh, company that, that no, we're, we're talking about highly trained guards. They didn't hear this humongous stone being rolled away. How did they move a giant sealed stone without waking up somebody, right? Uh, how did that all happen? And as you look at it, it's ludicrous to even believe it. You know, each of the gospel accounts describe Jesus' tomb as being empty after the resurrection. Now, if Jesus, if his body was stolen, as they say it was, where is the body? You know, it's kind of hard to prove a a murder has taken place if you can't produce a body. Uh, That's why so many times in a murder mystery, right, the one who commits the crime does a lot to try to cover up uh, the remains of that person or or eradicate the remains of that person because they figure if you can't find a dead body, uh, you can't prove a murder has taken place. Where is the dead body of Jesus Christ? We know there's an empty tomb. We know that he was put in that tomb, but now it's empty. But where is the dead body of Christ? The early Christian writers, a guy by the name of Justin Martin and Tertullian, refer to the Jewish claims that the disciples stole the body. So not only does the biblical account say that they were paying soldiers to say this, this account says that there's an explanation that the body was stolen. But they write, no one was ever able to produce the corpse of Jesus to prove that the body had been stolen. The tomb was protected by a heavy stone with a, a guard of soldiers, which the Pharisees had asked for. It had been very unlikely that the disciples were able to get past these guards to steal the body. Now, when I think about the founders of other great religions, and, you know, as they die, they get their followers around them, and and hopefully they die peacefully, but they're always surrounded by their followers. And they're always given the knowledge that, you know, your movement is growing, and And I know it's time for you to die, but I want you to know that the movement is in good hands. We are here with you, and we're going to make sure that this thing keeps on going even after your death. In contrast, when Jesus died, he died in disgrace. He was betrayed, 
denied, abandoned by everyone, even his father. You see, God the Father forsook his son so that we would never be forsaken. Other world religions teach salvation through ascent to God through good works and moral virtue and ritual observances and transformation of conscience. In contrast, Christianity is all about salvation through God's descending down to us. That's the great difference between Christianity and every other philosophical or religious system. As a matter of fact, it so moved the lives of people. They were never again the same. I think about those disciples and those early followers of Christ. I was intrigued as I studied what happened to the apostles. They died for their belief in the resurrection. These cowardly men all of a sudden were were filled with new courage and, and new strength. Now, if you don't believe in the resurrection, you will be forced to believe something happened to the disciples with equal force. If you try to explain the change in disciples, what was it if it wasn't the resurrection that caused them to be willing to die for a lie? I don't know if you have ever heard of Chuck Colson. He wrote a book called Born Again. Uh, Chuck Colson was involved in the Watergate scandal. He was considered Richard Nixon's hatchet man. And uh, when they broke into Watergate, they thought they could cover that up. And and his whole mindset was, and Chuck Colson was brilliant, and, um, and when he was born again in prison, uh, he started a ministry after coming out of prison called Prison Fellowship, which is, is still very active to this day, uh, going into prisons of the United States. And I think he even has, has kind of a worldwide ministry. But Chuck Colson said, you know, he gathered together 12 of the most powerful men in our nation. And he got them all together. Said, Guys, when we testify, this is the lie that we're going to all keep. You know, those 12 powerful men could not keep a lie for three weeks. That's why Chuck Colson uh, did time in prison. Now, you know, life is a mess, right? When you think about it, why would somebody die for a lie? Chuck Colson said, these guys, the most powerful men in the nation, couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. How are these disciples going to get to the point where they're willing to die for a lie? They're not going to die for a lie, especially if they know it's a lie. I want you to know, they were radically changed. Uh, let me, in the closing moments of our time together today, explain to you how each of the disciples were martyred for their faith. We'll begin with Peter and Paul. Uh, they were both martyred in Rome about 66 AD. During that persecution time of Nero, Paul was most likely beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down at his request. He said he didn't want to, uh, he didn't feel like he was worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. Unbelievable when you think about it. And then there's Andrew. Andrew went to the land of what is called the, the man eaters, right? The cannibals. And he went there, and that area is now, uh, is what we now know as Russia. Christians there claim that he was the first to bring the gospel to their land. He also preached in Asia Minor. He preached in modern-day Turkey and in Greece, and, and Andrew had an unbelievable ministry, but apparently he got somebody ticked off at him in Greece because when he was in Greece, they crucified him. And then there's Thomas. His name has become synonymous with the word doubting, right? Because he doubted the resurrection of Christ. You see, 
all of the disciples, they weren't looking for a risen Savior. They were looking for a dead Savior. Thomas was the most cynical of all. But after he saw the risen Savior, he became active in east of Syria. Tradition has him preaching as far east as India. They claim that he died there when pierced through with the spears of four soldiers. Uh, This one who was filled with doubt now is willing to go against four soldiers and, and willing to be pierced with a spear. Remember, he was the one says, unless I see uh, the, the spear hole in the side of Christ and put my hand in it, I'm not going to believe. And, and ironically, Thomas dies with a spear to the side. And, and then it's Philip. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about Philip. He's not mentioned a lot in the, in the scriptures. Philip went to North Africa and then he went to Asia Minor where he was, he made a, a terrible blunder, I guess you could say. Uh, as he is in Asia Minor, he leads the Roman proconsul's wife to the Lord. She becomes a follower of Christ. Uh, He becomes so ticked off that his wife becomes a follower of Christ. In retaliation, this proconsul had Philip arrested and cruelly beat to death. And then there's Matthew. We know Matthew as the tax collector. Oh, I love Matthew because when Matthew was first called by Jesus to be a follower of Christ, he threw what we call a Matthew party. He got all his tax collecting friends together and invited them over, invited Jesus to come over and had a meal with them and, 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 and explained to them why he became a follower of Christ. And, and Matthew, when he was converted, he, uh, he, he paid back everybody that he, he, he stole money from and, and just an amazing conversion experience. But when Christ died, he, he lost his hope. But when Christ rose again and appeared to Matthew... The one who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, is, uh, we learn that he goes and, and he ministers in Persia and in Ethiopia. And as he's ministering in these areas, uh, some of the oldest reports uh, say that uh, uh, he wasn't martyred, but then other reports say that he was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. And, and then there's Bartholomew. Bartholomew went to India with Thomas, and uh, then he went back to Armenia. And then he also went to Ethiopia, went to South Arabia. Now, there's various accounts as to how he met his death, but he was martyred for the gospel. And then we have James. James, the son of Alphaeus, is is one of the least three James referred to in the New Testament. And uh, there's some confusion as to which is which, but this James is, is reckoned to have ministered in Syria. Uh, the Jewish historian Josephus reports that he was stoned, and apparently he survived being stoned, and so they decided to club him to death. But James was a, a martyr. And then is Simon. Simon the Zealot. Uh, the story goes like this. He ministered in Persia, and he refused to offer a sacrifice to the sun god, the S-U-N god. And as a result of refusing to offer up this sacrifice, they kill him. And then it was Matthias. Uh, Matthias was that apostle that was chosen to take the place of Judas. We know how Judas died. Uh, he went out and hanged himself, and, and then the rope broke that he was trying to hang himself with, and he, and he dashed his son on the rocks below. But tradition sends him to Syria, Matthias to Syria, and Andrew, and, and they were both burned to death by burning at the stake is how Matthias suffered his martyrdom. 
And then we have John. Now, it's interesting that John was the only one that was probably not martyred for his faith. I guess they figured by this time that every time they killed one of these disciples that the gospel continued to spread because the message of the gospel is much stronger than even the messengers of the gospel. Well, John was the only one of his apostles who were generally thought to have died a natural age. Uh, he was the leader of the church of Ephesus, and, and he was uh, there at the cross taking care of, of Mary, the mother of Jesus, in his home. And, and during the persecution time in the middle 90s, uh, 8090s, he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. But one account says that John was actually burned or put in a cauldron of boiling oil, but he survived that miraculously. And as he survived that, he escapes unhurt, uh, and then they decide, well, uh, we can't do anything with this guy. We, we can't even kill him, so, so let's exile him out to the Isle of Patmos and put him out there in the Isle of Patmos. And that way, uh, even though we can't shut him off, there's nobody out there for him to, to preach to, and uh, he'll be talking to nobody, be out there in, in confinement and be isolated from everybody. And God even uses that. You know, isn't it amazing how God uses all the, uh, the setbacks in our lives? And, and God uses that to get John out in the Isle of Patmos so that he could give him the vision of the book of Revelation and how human history was going to end and the, and, and the end of all things. And, and so even at a difficult time, God uses that. You know, I think about these guys who, who gave their life for the cause of the gospel. If you ever have a chance to go to Israel, and you have the opportunity to take a tour of the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. Uh, it was a tour that I was reading about recently. I, I've never been to Israel. One of these days, it's on my it's on my bucket list. I'd love to go. And uh, on a recent tour by Yad Vashan, uh, it, it talks about going to this this Holocaust Museum, and he takes them through this museum, and then he stops at at a place where there's a statement that is written on the wall, and it's written by a German writer, Kurt Tavolsky, and he writes these words. And, and I think this is so poignant as we kind of wrap up this study of, should we believe in the resurrection? Uh, because when you believe in the resurrection, I want you to know not only does it affect us spiritually, it also affects us in our dealings with our culture. Uh, if you remember that Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And a light that is, is hidden is, is no good. Don't light a candle, put it under a bushel. It says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And Jesus also said, you know, we're the salt of the earth. You know, light is blinding if you're rejecting that light, if you get that light in your eyes. But light also guides your path. Salt, Jesus said, it brings flavor to a culture, but also salt is a preservative. It preserves the culture. And, and so part of our responsibilities as believers is not only to share the gospel, but to preserve our culture spiritually and morally and biblically. Because Jesus said, if our salt has lost its saltiness, it's of no use. It should be thrown on the feet of men and trodden over. And so this German writer penned these words. A country is not just what it does, it is also what it tolerates. Oh, I want to encourage you today. We have been given a wonderful opportunity to be here in the United States of America. 
I believe the day is coming where we will no longer have the freedoms that we have. I think we're slowly losing our freedoms. I think we must speak up boldly to share not only the gospel, but to share the right way to live as a people. To share the fact that God has given us a wonderful nation here because it's based on the Judeo-Christian ethic. God has blessed us beyond our wildest imaginations, so we must not tolerate certain ills within our society. We can stand up for truth. We can stand up for the fact that Jesus did die on that cross 2,000 years ago and that he was buried and that he did rise again. And when we've experienced a new birth experience, our lives are never again the same. Well, thank you so much for listening to this broadcast. If I can help you with anything, please give me a call at 757-421-7500. I'd love to pray for you. Every Thursday morning we pray. I would love to pray for you. We have a conference call with 15 or 20 people and every Thursday morning from 5 to 7, maybe you're driving to work from 5 to 7. I want you to know I'd love to pray for you. If you got a loved one that needs prayer, I'd love to pray for them. Listen, God does nothing but answer prayer. And when we pray, God moves. And oftentimes, I find that when I pray, the one that gets moved the most is me. Prayer may not change somebody that you love, but it certainly can change you. It can make a difference in your life. So we are commanded to pray without ceasing. I'd love to pray for you, my friend. Give me a call, 757-421-7500. Thank you again for listening to the broadcast today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.